Right now on Matter of Fact, millions of Americans are heading back to the office after more than a year of working at home. We've all experienced the burnout of this pandemic work life. We've experienced what it means to have no boundaries. How will businesses convince millions of workers a return to the workplace will make life better? Then, moving back home wasn't really a choice. The seismic shift changing the way families live as young people reinvent adulthood. My parents had become empty nesters and having three adult children living at home, it's been an adjustment to say the least. Why more young Americans live at home today than during the Great Depression. But first. Time to move the hose line up. Low visibility. Armageddon, that's bad. And this is just one of the hot spots. Unimaginable wildfires, incomprehensible loss. Whole communities facing the unknown. Everybody's seen a burnt down house. No one's seen a burnt down like town. What will it take to build back from the edge of destruction? I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. Dozens of large wildfires in 13 states have destroyed more than a million acres, leaving a path of destruction and death. Up and down the Pacific coast, fires are decimating land and homes and lives. Firefighters are battling intense heat and flames in parts of California, Oregon, and Washington. In Oregon, the bootleg fire is creating its own weather system, smothering towns with some of the worst air on the planet. The images of raging fires, skies filled with ash and miles of scorched earth are haunting. But once the smoke clears, another image will emerge. Miles and miles of burned out homes. Recovery will take years. Paradise, California knows the anguish and the grief. In November of 2018, a wildfire raced through the town, killing 85 people and destroying just about everything in its path. As our correspondent Jessica Gomez reports, their story of trying to rebuild is one that will be repeated up and down the West Coast. I mean, everybody's seen a burnt down house. No one's seen a burnt down, like, town. I think that if you watched a movie that had the end of times, that's what this town feels to me like now. Like the apocalypse happened, it's just horrific. Paradise, California, a town stopped in its tracks November 8th. The sounds of Charles and Rachel Rogers' life crunching under their feet. Like most here, they lost everything. Wow, the iPod. With no renter's insurance, they're starting from scratch in Yuba City. It's the real simple things too, like our walls at our new place are bare. We have no pictures, we have nothing. Most of those here now are cleanup crews. From above, their work seems insurmountable. Miles and miles of ash and rubble. Six months after the fire, fewer than 4,000 of the 11,000 properties have been cleared. And that's just the first step. You have to clean their property. You have to sample the soil. You have to make sure they've got water, that their sewage system is still operating. Um, they've got power before we can even begin to think about putting people back on their property. Bedroom lamp. Coming up here again today is not any easier. It's just devastation. It's heartbreaking. Woody and Debbie Stern say they don't have the time to wait for the remains of their dream home to be hauled off. They've already bought a new house in Red Bluff. I couldn't live here again. Just 
surrounded with those memories and, and the way it used to be, because it's not going to be that way anymore. For those left behind, daily struggles. The water in paradise, still not safe to drink. Nice, how much water? Tammy Spurlock's home was destroyed. She's living in her mom's house, one of only a few in the neighborhood still standing. I, I call it being in the bubble, but you know, as soon as you go outside, reality hits that you know this is where we live now, and so it's difficult. Tammy, a realtor, bought the burned-out lot behind her mom's house and plans to build there once it's cleared. The state says that could take up to 18 months. It takes you know nine months to build a home. You know, so 18 months plus nine, so we're at two and a half, three years. That's a long time to be in limbo. Number one is safety. Make it safer. At town listening sessions, concern those who want to move back won't be able to afford the cost to rebuild. Surveys, permits, and talk of new safer building codes. Many here were underinsured. You just keep going. You have to. But Mayor Jody Jones acknowledges paradise will likely never be the same. We're trying to do everything we can, but we cannot build people's homes for them or give them the money to build their homes. And I know that is hard, very hard. Not everyone will come back to paradise. Jones says the town is applying for federal grants to help subsidize some of the rebuilding costs. And every day, more Paradise businesses are reopening. Thomas Sinclair's auto body shop is up and running. As long as I can pay the bills and not go under, um, I'll, I'll stick it out. Sticking it out, surrounded by the reminders of what was lost here, and finding optimism in what Paradise could one day become. When you think about this two-bedroom place that you're going to build right behind your mom's, do you sort of feel hopeful and optimistic that paradise will come back? I think um, it'll come back one home at a time. It'll be beautiful again, and I think if you, um, you know, have a little hope, you know, it, you'll see it. In Paradise, California, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Next on Matter of Fact, millions of burned out workers are anxious about the future, thinking, if things break down again, or personally it becomes a struggle for my family, I'm gonna have to leave again. How companies are reinventing the world of work to retain employees in need of flexibility. And later, adulthood gets a makeover. There's some days when I want to get out <laughs> and start living my life in a sense, what people expect young adulthood to look like. How living with your parents and grandparents could become the new normal in America. of working remotely are coming to an end for millions of Americans. The percentage of people working from home fell in June to a pandemic low of 14.4%. That leaves roughly 22 million employees still working from home offices and their kitchen tables. By fall, most schools and daycare centers are expected to reopen, and that should relieve a burden on many parents. But women who were disproportionately affected by the pandemic still face job-related challenges. As many employers are discovering, women are looking for flexibility, and their return to the office may depend on the incentives businesses offer. Beth Humbert is an associate professor of management at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, also an expert on gender and diversity in the workplace. Professor Humbert, thank you for talking with me. 
So if you're a hiring manager who's trying to get the business back up and running, what do you need to think about creating in order to get women to come back to those jobs? We've seen a lot of forward-looking companies, not just for women, but having kind of waited through this period, offering one time a month Fridays off or making a policy that no meeting should happen before 10 a.m. or after 2 p.m. And so this is a real moment where those managers, the hiring managers, to your point, have a really big job to do. We've all experienced the burnout of this pandemic work life. We've experienced what it means to have no boundaries between work and home. And so we, I'm hopeful that managers having experienced it themselves can kind of model that transparency as we're trying to get people more comfortably back in the workforce. I have to imagine people have been knocked off the promotion path. People have been knocked off uh, the opportunity path. People have been knocked out of um, specific jobs and opportunities. Uh, what do you think has been lost in this pandemic for women? I think the more recent statistics are saying since March of 2020, 4.5 million women exited the workforce, and we've only seen about two, or I think still 2 million remain out of the workforce. Some of the latest estimates suggest it's going to take about 18 months longer for women to regain that labor force participation, 18 months longer than men. And then we have some of the similar dynamics that you would often look at when women would take time off for child rearing. What level are they re-entering at? And then other women are really thinking hard about their ability to go back to work at the same level that they were at before. You use the word burnout, and I think that's a really good word because everyone I know is feeling stressed and completely burned out. Are you seeing best practices or something that you would say in terms of strategy for business around mental health um, and getting people back on track financially that, that you like? We're seeing um, some companies are actually paying employees a bonus to use vacation time. So if I see you use a week of vacation time, I will give you an extra $1,000 bonus. We are seeing some companies institute um, every third Friday is a day off for the entire company and calling it a mental health day. We are seeing some companies that have typically used like a ERP and employee resource program to have mental health offerings through the organization, actually giving individuals a stipend to go use the, find their own mental health care. We have to see what the difference is of having these policies on the books and who's actually able to use them. Professor Beth Humbert, thank you for talking with me. Thank you so much, I enjoyed it. Ahead on Matter of Fact, millions of parents facing the same struggle. How do I pay you know, my rent or how do I get by day to day? Is there a simple way to end the cycle of poverty? And later, are flying taxis ready for liftoff? when and where you could take your first ride. The checks are in the mail. We're talking about the child tax credits sent to nearly 39 million households. Those monthly checks of up to $300 per child could be a lifeline for families. Unlike year-end tax credits, this program puts money in the hands of parents every month to help with expenses like rent or food or transportation. And in places like New Mexico, this could be life-changing. There, one in four children are living in poverty compared to one in seven nationally. And parents are free to use the cash support in whatever way they think is best. 
2020 was very stressful for me and my family, like, you know, from working to not working, you know, kids in school, not in school, like, it was very stressful. My name is Andrea Alvarado. I have three girls, Juliana, Liliana, Eliana, and we're also expecting another baby. Monthly expenses are tough for anyone. So my monthly expenses include my rent, my light gas, phone, car payment, and car insurance. I didn't really want to get on unemployment because I wanted to like, you know, provide for myself instead of relying on the government or whatever. Um, but at that point, um, being pregnant and high risk, I kind of had no choice in order to provide for my kids. For instance, like me not working, like if we get it like now in July, that would actually help to like, you know, keep this is where I'm short, like on my rent, it's gonna go here. Like I gotta like divide the money into places that I know I'm gonna be short on. Um, so I think it's gonna help a lot. Having flexibility with money is helpful to me and my family. In the short term, I get to decide where this money goes. In the long term, this money will help me plan and save. But at this point, it's like, it's gonna go to what we really, really need. You know, and I think it'll be even more helpful for me to save a little bit of it because I am going to need a bigger car once I have this baby because <laughs> um, the car I have will not fit another car seat. Each family should, you know, make the decision on where their money is going to go to. Um, but I hope they choose wisely <laughs> on where it's going to go to. That's like the main goal, you know. Right now, families can depend on the checks for just one year, although President Biden says he wants to extend the program through 2025. His Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, goes further. She wants the monthly payments made permanent. New Mexico State Representative Javier Martinez is an advocate for direct payments to parents, and he spoke with us from Albuquerque. In talking to Andrea, she says she's going to spend her money wisely, the monthly stipend that she gets and part of the reason for that is she worries that if it's spent poorly that when the time is up it's going to revert back to what it was an annual payment are you worried about that as well let's keep in mind this is their money these are taxpayer dollars that they've already paid into the system they're just simply getting them back um, in uh, through a different route um, and the evidence we've seen is families invest in their children, families invest in their homes, families invest in small businesses, families invest in our local economy. Uh, the notion of, of families not spending wisely just doesn't carry water with me. Poverty is not a choice. Nobody chooses to be poor. The programs of the past I don't think have worked. We've got to take a different approach. And I believe that these tax credits are the first step toward that guaranteed basic income uh, philosophy that I think we all need to subscribe to. Javier Martinez is a New Mexico state representative. It's nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Soledad. Appreciate your time. Still ahead, she's not the exception. Now I live with my two siblings, my parents and my grandparents. We explore the trend that has many generations living under one roof. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. has changed in so many ways because of the pandemic. It's upended the economy, it's made job hunting more difficult for young adults and college graduates. And while they manage that transition, many young people find themselves living with their parents and grandparents. In fact, more than one in four Americans live in a household with three or more generations. And one young woman's story shows it's not out of choice, but necessity. I'm Andy Canaris, and I'm a freelance writer and editor. 
I moved back home before spring break of college, my senior year, and I've been here since March of 2020. I think it's over here, yeah. Now I live with my two siblings, my parents and my grandparents. Two, one. The hardest part about living in a multi-generational household is the conflicting personalities, day-to-day -day needs, and privacy, I'd say. I think there's some days when I want to get out <laughs> and start living my life in a sense, what people expect young adulthood to look like. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily in a rush to move out. I've really appreciated this time that I've had with my family, especially my grandparents. The rise of multi-generational living, it's a strength in part because we're moving away from an individualist culture to more collectivist where we appreciate other people's perspectives and we're not as isolated. Does this count? <laughs> That's a different language, but since we're Greek. People expect the first year out of college to be a time of growth, a time of excitement, where they learn about themselves and they go out in the world and they do their own thing. I think I've grown more this past year than I could have ever grown. I've grown more connected to my family and I've grown so much more appreciative of that. Neither of us started off very well. Now I feel really grounded and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's just a silver lining. <laughs> Next on Matter of Fact, our first look at a flying taxi cab. How this mini copter could change the way we get around town. Today, while the fan-free Olympic Games get underway in Tokyo, Paris is already prepping for the 2024 Olympics. French officials are enlisting the help of a German company for a flying taxi cab. It's called the Volocopter, and it kind of looks like a mini helicopter. During its first test flight, the Volocopter flew for less than a mile at about 18 miles an hour. Good start. But creators want it to fly faster and go farther. The goal is to be up and flying for the Paris Olympics, getting people from city to city where different events will be held. The creators recently partnered with an aviation training company to ensure a well-trained crew of pilots. The Volocopter seats two passengers and has space for luggage, but you can't just stand outside and hail this air taxi. It works more like an Uber or a Lyft. So if you want to book a flight, there's an app for that. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories about the challenge of rebuilding whole communities destroyed by wildfires, what businesses are doing to convince workers to return to the office, how child tax credits could lift families out of poverty, and a look at life for three generations living under one roof, just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and Pluto.